Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to the next episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. Our guest today is Inse de Boer, Managing Director of Accenture Strategy and Sustainability for Asia Pacific. Welcome, Inse. Thank you very much, Matthias. Good morning. Good morning. Inse, what we want to discuss today is around decoupling of economic growth from resource consumption and what impact that has on business and society. But before we start with this, could I kindly request you to introduce yourself as well as what Accenture is doing? Yes, of course, Matthias. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so my role with Accenture is uh, to be a partner within our strategy practice and specifically for sustainability strategy here in Asia Pacific uh, to lead to lead our teams and, and the work that we do with clients, which is really about helping our clients use sustainability and sustainable business as a lens for innovation, as a lens for growth and a lens for, in general, uh, the creation of business value. Right. So I had already briefly said uh, what we want to talk about and you brought a nice term up, which is circular economy. I understand Accenture has done some research work around this topic. Maybe to get us going, you could just define what that actually is and what are the important pillars this stands on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially because I think it's very relevant for this topic of energy uh, and digitalization. Uh, when we talk about circular economy at Accenture, Accenture Strategy, we define it as uh, decoupling economic growth from the consumption of natural resources. If you look at the world and the global economy for the past 100 to 200 years, there's been a one-on-one -on -one correlation between economic growth on one hand and uh, consumption of natural resources on the other hand, whichever natural resources that was. And that is coming to a crunch. Uh, yeah, climate change is one such example, but huge wa uh, waste piles um, sort of piling up is another. Another example, scarce uh, precious metals and, and all sorts of geopolitical developments uh, that are getting to a crunch there is, is yet another example. Um, and, and the trick is, yeah, how can you uh, continue with that economic growth without continuing to use that same amount of natural resources? And there's a couple of exciting uh, business models that we see businesses deploy to achieve exactly that. Some are uh, more familiar and have been deployed for over decades already. Some are actually emerging and fairly new, and especially those newer ones are typically, when you look at some of the common themes between those newer emerging business models, almost without an exception, they are enabled by uh, emerging Uh, digital technologies, which is which is one of those things that we talked about a lot, and um, and I think as relevant for the energy industry, specifically in the downstream of traditional oil and gas retail, and then moving to utilities, you see a lot of these emerging business models uh, play out, and and I can give you a couple of examples of that later on. Yeah, that would be interesting, and it's actually. Uh also interesting to see that there are parallels when we talked earlier also in this podcast about how 
future business models maybe have to uh, cut across the current silos we have in the industry mm -hmm. from what you just described uh, that seems to be the same case there as well we can probably not be organized anymore as we are today to make that really going mm -hmm. so for example reusing material in the past has very often maybe been more expensive for example for furniture producers than just you know throwing the old furniture away and sell you something new mm -hmm. so what do you see um, what how are these companies getting prepared for that new future do we see already that they are going into this or is that still kind of a vision ahead yeah no i think there's some great examples emerging of businesses <clears throat> innovating these new business models uh, across all industries and the other thing you're absolutely right um uh, business models that actually cut across industries as well, where businesses start to realize that if they really want to solve for customer needs, they cannot stick in their traditional industry silos. One very, very good example is probably that it, one of the developments that you see in many industries is that companies are, are trying to get closer to the end consumers. And digital technology is a great enabler for that because, you know, in developed economies, virtually everyone has a smartphone. So that's an easy means to connect with the end customer. If you, as, uh, for example, an uh, oil and gas uh, company, want to solve for mobility needs, for example, of, uh, of end customers, because, uh, for example, you foresee that uh, the model to have retail stations out there and sell fuel is a finite model that may not be sustained over the next 20 or 30 years. You need to find other ways to be relevant for the end customer. Well, an end customer in the end is most times not interested in fuel. It's interested in fuel because it goes into the car and it's an internal combustion car. And then it makes the car drive and then it allows the car to move you from A to B. But in the end, you're only interested to move from A to B. So what in a future where there's uh, electrical vehicles or what in a future where there's autonomous vehicles, right? So, and, and when, as an oil and gas company, you think about a future like that, clearly yeah, there's in the end only one way and that is establishing a relationship with an end consumer. But if you want to do that, you need to solve for mobility. So what do you need for mobility? Um, you'll need uh, relationships with uh, automotive OEMs. Um, it's electricity most likely driving these cars. Uh, so you'll need to strike deals with utility companies, uh, for example. You may need to strike deals with uh, infrastructure and real estate companies uh, because they may well be the places where charging infrastructure, for example, needs to be located. So you, you can easily see how from a traditional oil and gas you know, retail downstream point of view, if you look 10, 20 years ahead, all of a sudden you need to work with four or five different industries, uh, whereas in the past you could, you could probably do it all yourself. Yes. I remember an example from Coca-Cola, actually, where they are now already looking into what does the change to electric vehicles due to our sales strategy uh, yeah. on the roads, because yeah. obviously that will change. But uh, talking about uh, maybe somebody who is supplying uh, something in, in big 
mass volume, uh, not only drinks, but I remember you also talked a little earlier about manufacturing yeah. and very clever ways maybe of being more efficient to yeah. arrange this decoupling you were, were talking yeah. about. So uh, can you talk about a bit yeah. more about this? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, to, to tie it back to circular economy, we define five business models that we see businesses deploy yeah, in the circular economy space. Yeah, the first one is circular supplies, which is really about uh, making making sure that you use infinite supplies, right? Whereas you know fossil fuels, they are finite by definition. But sun, solar, uh, and all sorts of photosynthesis processes, for example, for the chemicals industries, they're infinite. Um, second one is resource recovery. So that's really all about the embedded value that sits in the products that we make, uh, the materials that we use and, and, and utilize does, does better. Third one would be product life extension, which is you know, getting more value out of the products once we've actually manufactured them and not tossing uh, things away uh, too soon. Fourth one would be sharing platforms, which is, for example, things like Airbnb or Uber. And it's really all about ut better utilizing the capacity that's out there available in the economy. And then the fifth one is pulling a couple of these things together, and it's really moving from a product to a service and and I think uh, Matthias you're hinting at that fifth business model so what is it that businesses do as they move away from selling a product mm -hmm. to a service and and I think it's a particularly exciting one um, because we see it across many industries that's one but also because it has a couple of really interesting aspects to it when you really think about it a little bit uh, deeper for example uh, one of the things that um, that that a, that a company in the tire industry has done a michelin they've come up with uh, what they call a product uh, fuel um, and FE Fuel was initially uh, a product really uh, tailored uh, to fleet managers to provide them uh, with um, uh, insights in the fuel efficiency of uh, the various trucks and cars and drivers in their fleet. Now, interestingly, when you think about that, when you have telematics in cars uh, uh, to allow you to do all those things, without too much imagination you can actually also think of how you could then rather than selling that tire um, and uh, providing some adjacent services like fuel efficiency inside you could also move towards not selling the tire but selling tire kilometers for example mm -hmm. in the same way that Rolls-Royce uh, has been selling um, uh, jet, engines. jet engines by the hour right yeah. they sell propulsion by the hour so um, product as a service, tire, miles, rather than a set of four tires. And and a couple of interesting things happen when you do that. Because, you know, first off, uh, clearly the onus is on the manufacturer to provide top-notch quality that doesn't wear and tear too soon, that doesn't break down and all those things. And when it does, to provide a seamless experience for the customer, mm -hmm. right? So that you can take it back. And you can do those things with digital technology, right? Because you know exactly where the car is. You know where the nearest service station is. You know exactly what the driving patterns are. And you know that if it's a Tuesday, 8 a.m., that the driver will, at 8.30 a.m., per the typical pattern, will drive by a service 
station. So you can make all those things seamless. So that's one thing on the customer side and on the product quality side. But another thing that will happen is, is the relationship between the manufacturer and the customer. Because in the past, it was all dependent on these once-off sales transactions where manufacturer sells something to the customer, customer buys it, walks away, and then it's hoping for the manufacturer that the customer returns mm-hmm. once the product breaks down. And in order to do that, these manufacturers spend billions of dollars on marketing and, and branding and sales you know, to make sure that that happens. Now, if you move away from that and provide that product as a service, there all of a sudden is a relationship with an end customer. And because there's that relationship, uh, there's no, there's a lot less dependency on these billions of dollars of marketing and, and branding uh, expenditure, uh, and which you can then use uh, to invest in, in other means for growth, for business innovation, whatever it might be. So there's all sorts of interesting intended consequences to some of these what we call circular economy business models. So they solve for providing economic growth with less use of natural resources. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they also seriously change the way in which businesses interact with end customers and really drive them to focus on meeting the customer needs and the utility, which is not a car, it's mobility. It's not necessarily a tire, it is a seamless ability for a car to move over the road and so forth. And so you have talked uh, a lot about uh, the different pillars the uh, circular economy is standing on. Uh, what kind of impact does it have, for example, on business in terms of numbers? Yes, well, the impact is huge. Uh, Accenture has invested a lot over the past uh, years in research uh, about the circular economy. And according to Accenture's research, uh, there's about three and a half trillion US dollars of economic impact by 2030 of the circular economy. And that breaks down into four main buckets. Uh, The first one is that it addresses wasted life cycles of products mainly. Uh, Second, it addresses wasted embedded values. Uh, The third one would be that there's a lot of capacity out there in the economy today that is being wasted or underutilized that circular economy taps and then fourth there is wasted uh, resources such as the sun you know the wind uh, water you name it that once better utilized you know, make a huge economic impact so according to Accenture three and a half trillion US dollar by 2030. Right. So when we talk about these big game changers, I have talked about digitalization in this podcast. We have now talked about the circular economy. And we said earlier already, uh, that means that we probably need to cut across industry silos. We have to venture into a future where we do not 100% know yet how that will look like. So how do you um, consult and advise your clients to get prepared for such a future? Yeah, so let me first tell you about the conversations that, that, that I and we here at Accenture have with some of these business leaders and the challenges that they have, because that will also help you understand the work that Accenture does. I mean, in, in many of my conversations yeah, with business leaders, we see this convergence between industries. Like, for example, when you think about circular economy, uh, it has implications on uh, 
uh, infrastructure and real estate com uh, companies. So in my conversations with some of the leaders of, 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 of real estate businesses here in Singapore, uh, they are struggling and they're telling me uh, about, for example, the decrease in demand for uh, parking space in their commercial real estate. Mm. Now, I mean, that's immediately related uh, to uh, mega trends like uh, sharing platforms and, and product as a service as part of the circular economy. Well, it's a challenge. It's at the same time an opportunity. So Accenture's work in those types of situations quite often is to open up you know, the eyes for the intricacies and the interlinkages between what they are seeing in terms of reduced demand for parking space and some of the underlying root causes. You know, and then from there, you open up for opportunities. That's one example. That same trend of better use, utilizing the available capacity, you know, car sharing, for example, has also Im implications for uh, oil and gas companies. So our clients in energy, for example, uh, we help uh, identify the opportunities or uh, maybe sometimes even the, the changes in focus on customers that they need to have. Uh, because, for example, um, there will be big changes if you're moving from a society and an economy where every car is individually owned by a customer versus a future where um, business car sharing programs, for example, may be managed as a platform by a smaller number of larger organizations who will then likely also make the decisions about uh, consumption of fuel and consumption of lubricants. So that's relevant for oil and gas companies. But that same relevance also applies to the customers that Accenture has in uh, automotive, uh, for example. Right? So there's the conversations with automotive. And then at the same time, because Accenture serves all these companies across all these businesses and all these industries, uh, there's also interesting linkages that Accenture makes between, for example, utility companies that typically have a need to balance the grid on the one hand, and on the other hand, automotive companies that are starting to invest more and more in electric vehicles and start to open their eyes for the opportunities in creating a platform of battery storage capacities, if you combine all these electrical vehicles, and then team up with utility companies. And they're both Accenture's customers. So there's all sorts of opportunities if you move from one adjacency to the next and, and cut through all those industry silos. Yes, that's an interesting model. And actually, I would like to come to the end of this uh, episode. I would like to look into maybe the social aspect of this as well. Um, what do you think there? I mean, today, I think we at least still think we are individualists. Uh, of course, we all have a, the same smartphone and all the same gadgets, but still we think we are kind of special. We live in our own flat. We have our own uh, decoration, whatever. Uh, when we come to this kind of shared Uh, economy model, um, maybe that needs us to change. I'd be happy to share a flat, move around, uh, other people going in. I don't have my own car anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not even have the joy maybe to, to, to drive very fast in a loud car on, on a highway or something like this. Mm -hmm. um, is that, do you think that society will adapt to this? Is that something they find exciting or is that something where maybe work is required to get people commit to this understanding that this is a requirement for a sustainable future? 
Yeah, yeah, that's an it's an important question. Um, like to start with, I would say that making efforts to to change behavior of individuals, of groups of individuals, or even an entire society, it's incredibly hard to do. Right? And I don't think that's that's the way in which things will develop. What I I I'm absolutely positive that things will change. In fact, we see things already changing. Um, um, but it will likely move across, uh, for example, generations. Uh, one of the things that, at least in my business, I see quite a lot is, uh, is that uh, the millennials, or pretty much everyone you know, below 35 years old, has a disproportionately strong interest in this topic of, of, of sustainability, sustainable business, a responsible business, purpose-driven business. Um, and it is, it is that generation that will drive many of these developments. It's that generation that, depending a little bit on the geography, um, it, but it's that generation that has a lot less interest in owning a car and puts a lot more emphasis on the utility of a car right? to move from A to B. In general, a lot less interest in owning things. It's a lot more uh, open to things like uh, Airbnb, like Uber, but also uh, more social uh, versions of that, right, where people are joining together uh, using virtual platforms uh, to cook together, to uh, to eat meals that have been cooked centrally with a larger group of individuals. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of concepts in that spirit that are popping up and that are adopted typically by uh, the younger generations. And I think that is one of the ways in which change will happen and, and definitely much faster and at much bigger scale than through something like businesses or people trying to achieve behavioral change of, of groups of people that may not even be willing to change, right? Yes. Uh, so, yeah. So, I think it's the younger generation that's going to drive this. Oh, that's, that's really good news and a very positive outlook because the millennials will probably be the ones who shape the future. At least yeah. this is what we all believe. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we have come to the end of this podcast. Thank you very much for these highly interesting insights. And thank you, everyone listening. Uh, that was Inse de Boer, the Managing Director of Accenture Strategy and Sustainability for Asia Pacific on circular economy, basically decoupling of economic growth from resource consumption, as well as the influence of customer experience. Thanks for listening in. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.